Well, if you are a Facebook user, you know there is a section on the screen called Trending. And in this section, it is supposed to be those topics that are especially popular on Facebook are supposed to be in the Trending section. Well, you probably heard about the incident back in May. A a former Facebook worker suggested that this wasn't just a computer algorithm of the most popular topics, but that there was a team who served some editorial purpose in a sense that, that... sort of influenced what you saw. It was based on computer algorithm plus human input. And the idea had been previously that this was just simply uh, what was trending without really human input. And this worker alleged that there was a team there who in many ways suppressed conservative stories and encouraged or highlighted progressive or more liberal stories. And and so there was some investigation and study about how Facebook is, is doing this. But it brings up a topic that is especially relevant in today's world where, where everyone's tweeting and posting and uh, Instagramming and Photoshopping and you name it. Everyone is saying something and it brings into question what is truth, what's real. And this is an especially important discussion because anytime we deal with someone... We certainly want them to tell us the truth, right? We, we want them to be honest with, with us. If we have a business dealing going on, we, we don't want someone to lie to us. We expect them to be honest. And yet, that expectation so often, in a, in a broader sense, sort of becomes very blurry. What is truth and in what ways do we interact with truth? So this morning... This morning's topic, as we think about truth and as we think about integrity, we recognize they're critically important, and indeed, they're almost lost virtues in in our culture. We'll be in Matthew 5.33 as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. At this point in time, Jesus is teaching what it means to be his follower. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, this is how you live. That's what Jesus is teaching. Now, Jesus... In the verses that we're looking at this morning, and in this section of verses, he's explaining the true intent of the Old Testament law. Basically, in in several sayings, he says, you have heard, and he gives an example of an Old Testament law, and then he says, but I say to you. And this morning, Jesus continues that same pattern of explaining what the law is really about. Let's look together at Matthew 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. In these verses, Jesus teaches that we must always be people of the truth. We must always be people of the truth. Now here in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said. And this statement that he's about to give is not necessarily a direct quotation of a specific verse, but it's sort of a summary of a lot of different teachings from the Old Testament about making promises or about telling the truth. The first uh, passage that we ought to consider is Exodus 20, verse 7, 
which is the third commandment. Do not take God's name in vain. Now, to take an oath in God's name and to break the oath was an instance of taking God's name in vain. It was one example of a way that that you might take his name in vain. Another commandment that we ought to think about is Exodus 20, uh, verse 16, the ninth commandment, which says that you shall not testify falsely. Uh, You shall not bear false witness, that is. Uh, Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. Numbers uh, chapter 30, verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So the law, the Old Testament law, prohibited the irreverent use of God's name. It prohibited haphazard promises and broken promises. There's a sense in which the Old Testament is saying, if you make a vow, you keep your vow. Now, if an oath was taken literally, or or if an oath was taken, it was to be fulfilled. It was to be completely fulfilled. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 21 through 23, the scriptures say, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. So Jesus says, you've heard from the Old Testament that you must keep your vow. But in verse 34, he's going to speak and he's going to say, it's not just about keeping your vow. I want you to understand that what is happening today in regards to keeping your vow is not the true intent of, of the Old Testament law. And, and you'll understand what I mean in just a moment. Now, and as you look at verse 34, as Jesus has done in the preceding verses, he gives the full measure of the law. He says, this is what you said, but I want you to understand it fully. And so here he says, don't take an oath, Period. Don't take an oath. That's what he says. He says at all. He's emphasizing the comprehensive nature of this statement. Don't take an oath. Well, an oath was binding depending upon what object was sworn upon. He says don't take an oath by heaven. Why? Because that is God's throne. Don't take an oath by earth because that's his footstool. Don't take an oath on your own head. That's kind of the idea of, hey, you can have my head if I don't keep this. He says don't do that. Why? Because you can't turn one of your hairs black or white, you can't do that. Now, barring hair color, I suppose, but, but you understand what he's saying, right? Yeah, you understand. He's saying you, you don't have the power to do that. God is the king. He's the ruler. He's the one in authority. And we don't have that, that kind of authority or power. So when we swear by the earth or by heaven, it's still God's realm. It's still the realm of which he is ruler. So all oaths must be taken seriously because every oath, every oath, whatever we swear by, is really within his jurisdiction, if you will. Now, many of these oaths at this time were not being made as a way to maintain truth, but they were being made as a way to sort of play with the truth. You see, in Judaism, there were all sorts of guidelines. If you look in the, the Mishnah, for example, the, the uh, understanding of the uh, oral Jewish law from this time period, there were all kinds of, of vows that were given. If you make this vow and you vow to this object, well, that's not valid. But if you 
uh, vow to this, then it is valid. And so there were all these different guidelines. And the idea was, instead of vowing to God, in which you would be bound, you could vow to a lesser object, and you would have less responsibility to fulfill your vow. So in swearing by something other than God, you could avoid accountability. You could perhaps avoid God's judgment if you didn't keep your vow. So it was a simple way to make a promise, but not exactly. In fact, when I was a kid, and I don't know if kids do this still today, sometimes we would say this statement. We would say, this is the truth, but we would cross our fingers. You remember this? And if you crossed your fingers when you said something, it didn't have to be true. Or sometimes the kids would get a little clever And they would have their hands out, and then they would cross their toes. I was crossing my toes. I didn't have to tell the truth. That's what they would say. And so when we did this as kids, the intent was to deceive, not to tell the truth. And that's exactly what was happening here. The intent in taking an oath by some lesser object was a desire to avoid responsibility and a, a desire not to keep the oath that was made. And so in Matthew 5, 37, Jesus is going to say, You must be a people of the truth. You must be a people of integrity. So Matthew 5.37 prevents oaths. He just says don't do them. Don't do them at all. Why? Because what you say needs to be true. It doesn't need to be backed up by a promise or by an oath. Just speak the truth. Now, This is speaking to everyday conversation and everyday language. What Jesus is saying is, in everyday speech, don't take oaths. Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Now, it isn't an absolute prohibition against taking oaths. Some groups have understood it in this way, but but it's not. And should a Christian sign a contract? You're purchasing a house, you just sign a contract. Should a Christian testify in a court of law? Some have argued, no, the Christians shouldn't do these things. And yet, is that what this passage is saying? Well, when we come to a, a place in Scripture where we don't exactly understand the, the full measure, so if you're a Christian, should I put my hand on the Bible and say, yes, I will solemnly tell the truth? Or should I not? Well, what we do when we're not sure how to handle a particular passage is we look at other places in Scripture where the same topic is addressed. And and so here as we look at this idea of oaths or promises and we look more broadly in Scripture, it will help us understand Jesus' intent here. A good rule of thumb when you're trying to understand what Scripture is saying is that Scripture must be interpreted in light of Scripture. So let's take a look at some of the Old Testament law regarding oaths. First, we saw that oaths could be voluntary. A person could voluntarily make an oath in the Old Testament. Uh, You can see scriptures. I won't take the time to read all of these, but you can see them in in your uh, uh, notes there. Oaths could be required by law. There were some oaths that a person had to take. And oaths would be taken in God's name. There wasn't going to be a wiggle room where you could kind of take an oath in a lesser and be held accountable in a lesser way. Now, are all oaths prohibited in Scripture? Clearly, the answer to that is no. God himself is said to take an oath. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Jesus later testified under oath in, in Matthew 26. And in Matthew 23, later in this book, Jesus would confront the religious leaders about their oath-taking. And he didn't prohibit all oaths. 
He prohibited this game playing with oaths, trying to, to take an oath to a lesser item. So oaths are not outlawed in a sense. Uh, Paul is said to have taken oaths. If you look in 2 Corinthians 1.23, Galatians 1.20, Paul says, it's this way, I, I guarantee it. So in summary, what is this saying? A Christian's word should be good, period. A Christian's word ought to be good, period. A believer must be a person of absolute integrity whose words can be trusted without, without oaths or without promises. That means in our day-to-day conversation with one another, what we say ought to be real. We shouldn't need to sign a contract in our day-to-day living. You ought to be able to hear me speak and trust that I'm speaking the truth. And I ought to, as a brother and sister in Christ, be able to, to hear you speak and know that you're telling the truth. That, that's what Jesus is saying. Speak the truth. No promise is needed when you're going to tell the truth. Just tell the truth. And here Jesus concludes in verse 37 that if a person is not a person of the truth, perhaps they are following the evil one and not him. In fact, John 8.44 says that Satan is the father of lies. So when we walk in a way that, that isn't committed to truth, we're walking in a way that the devil himself traffics in all the time. You see, this issue of truth and integrity is huge in the lives of those who would call ourselves followers of Jesus. There was an old uh, 80s country song, many of you will know it, called Tell Me About the Good Old Days. It's a judge song. And uh, the song, the lyrics of the song indicate that a little girl was talking to her grandpa about the past, about, about the good old days. And one of the lines in the song was this, was a promise really something people kept, not just something they would say and then forget? And what this little girl was expressing is that so much of what is said today is never really meant to be true. So much of what we say today is really about advancing our cause it's about um, building ourselves or pursuing what we want with little regard for what, what's really true, with little regard to fulfilling the promises that we make, the commitments that we make. So I wonder today, brother or sister, is your word something that keeps? Or is your word like milk? After a period of time, it goes bad. Brothers and sisters, God says to us who know him, Our words must be true. Take it to the bank kind of true. That's that's what the word is saying. Now let's think through some of the implications for our lives. First, this passage reminds us that God is always faithful and true. He's always faithful and true. He has given us his word, for example, and his word is truth. We see that in John 17, 17. As Jesus prays before he goes to the cross, he says, In his prayer, God, your word is truth. So God has given us his word, a self-revelation of himself. He's made himself known, and his word is truth. The Bible is true. It's true. It claims to be true over and over and over again. And God is always faithful. He is always true. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, we see Paul writing to, to the church at Corinth, and Paul reminds us that God keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. So when we have a word from God, we can take it to the bank. 
We can count on it because he is a God of complete and absolute truth. No game playing here. Completely true. Now today there are relentless attacks against the truthfulness of the word of God. I believe the word can stand up to every attack. And those of you perhaps who who have doubts and you have questions, you've come across an argument online or someone has shared with you and said, hey, I don't believe the Bible could be true because of X. I would say to you, do the research. Every objection is being answered or has been answered by, by faithful brothers and sisters who love the word and study the word. I believe the truth of God's word can stand up to scrutiny because God is always faithful and he's always true. Always. Second, we need God's grace because of our tendency to lie and to forsake integrity. We need God's grace because of our tendency to lie and to forsake integrity. We need God to work in our heart. We need him to help us be people of our word. So I encourage you, ask God to help you live a life of integrity, not a game of game, not a, not, not a way of life where you're playing games or you're walking in the shadows, but no, where you're walking in the truth, where you're walking in the light, where you're not playing games. Now, my boy is three years old and I can watch him do something that he ought not do. And I can say to him, Landon, did you X, Y, Z? No. Well, I just saw him do it. But he tells me, no, there's a reason he says no, because he has a vested interest in this. He doesn't want to be in trouble. So he says, no, 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 I didn't do that. Really, Dad? You could ask me that? That, That's kind of his attitude. No, he didn't do it. But I just saw him do it. Now, the reality is, in a more sophisticated manner, we can see ourselves there, can't we? Because the reality is, if we're not careful, we like to sort of help the truth kind of Work gets way out for us. We don't want to own up to the truth when it will hurt us or cost us. But understand, as people of God, we cannot live there. We can't live there. We must be a people, even when it hurts, to be honest and to tell the truth, we must be a people who are committed to that kind of integrity. Now, in the lives of believers... This is one of the reasons a church family is so important because Scripture teaches us that sin is deceptive. It has a way of sort of covering our eyes and we begin to not even see the truth ourselves sometimes. We, we begin to sort of play games with the truth and before long we don't, even, we don't even grasp how far we are away from what God would have us to be. This is one of the reasons the New Testament is a book about the church coming together and being built. Why? Because we need brothers and sisters who will speak into our lives. So when, when Jesus talks about being a part of a family where, where, where we look into each other's lives and we help each other and we confront sin and deal with sin, God wants us to be a member of a church family because that helps us. When we're out sort of on the edges and there's really no commitment to the family of God, it's a much more dangerous place. Imagine being a soldier away from from everyone else. The enemy can take you out like that much easier. And this is one of the areas where Satan loves to to work in our lives. And, And those of us who are a part of a church family where brothers and sisters know us, we're a member of a church where there's commitment there, not just sort of I'm in and out, but, but really commitment, like I'm in, that kind of commitment. Well, then there's a protection there because now a brother can come to me and say, hey, Lonnie, I noticed you said this, but remember that? 
or a sister can come to me and say, hey, what's up with this? And we all need people to speak into our lives. We all need that. And so, so this is one of the reasons it's critically important that we're a part of a family of God to help us walk in the truth, to help us be a people of truth. Third, be a person of your word. Let your yes be yes. James 5.12 says it like this, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any under oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no. So that, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Let your yes be yes. Be a person of absolute honesty. If you can't keep your word, then inform those involved. Let me give you an example. Let's say for your, your business, you say, okay, hey, I'm going to take care of that on Friday or I'll be there on Thursday. And if that can't happen, then as believers, we ought to contact those who, who are expecting us to fulfill our word and say, hey, this happened, and I, will, I won't be there Thursday, or I can't take care of that Friday. You, you understand what I'm saying. We, we need to follow through and make sure that if we've told somebody something and that can't happen, we explain that to them. We want to be a people who are forthright, a people who are honest, a people whose lives in every way are marked by truth. Now, in... Our family of churches, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, back in the 60s and, and 70s, there was a time that uh, some of the professors in, in our institutions, in our, in our institutions of higher education, seminaries and, and, and such, uh, there, there were a lot of professors who had, who had really come to the place where they didn't fully believe in God's word. And they believed that, that God's word had truth in it, but wasn't completely true. There was a seminary professor named Ralph Elliott. He worked up at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City. And he wrote a book in 1961 called The Message of Genesis. And in this book, uh, Dr. Elliott suggested that Genesis wasn't really historical. It was just you could gain truth from it, but it wasn't true truth. It wasn't historically true. It was just you could get some good ideas uh, about spirituality and faith. But it, but it wasn't true truth. It, it wasn't absolutely true. Well, the pastor of First Baptist Houston wrote this article pointing out the fact that Dr. Elliot was teaching that, that God's word wasn't completely true. And, and he argued that, that this was something that needed to be investigated. Well, Dr. Elliot responded by saying that his views were mainstream across uh, seminaries in, in our family of churches. In other words, that all these professors, or a huge amount of these professors, didn't really believe that God's word was completely true. But he said, my mistake is that I don't play games with the truth. My mistake, Dr. Elliot said, is that I don't use doublespeak. A lot of the other professors use doublespeak. They, they don't say exactly what they mean they're careful with their audience. So they would say things in such a way, very sophisticated intellectually, in such a way that folks who believe the Bible wouldn't recognize that they didn't truly believe it. And Dr. Elliott said, my mistake is that I spoke with integrity. I said, I don't fully believe it. I think we can get a lot from it, but I don't fully believe it. Now, in today's world, the folks who teach in our seminaries really do believe the Bible. I, I think that's clear. There's, there's no doubt about it. But this kind of double speak, this kind of game playing with truth, it has no place in the family of God. 
And I admire Dr. Elliot for being willing to tell the truth and not to play games. To stand for the truth is what we must do, brothers and sisters, to be a people of integrity. That's who we must be. So fourth, avoid half-truths and playing games with the truth. Avoid half-truths and playing games with the truth. This means we ought to avoid stuff like gossip and slander, half-truths about others. We see Peter address that in 1 Peter 2, 1. It means we need to get rid of the white lie mentality. Well, this is just a little bitty lie. No. As a citizen of God's kingdom, we can't go there. We have to be committed to the truth. Now, some of you may say, well, wait a minute. What about Rahab? You remember Rahab, Pastor? What about some of these other instances in, in Scripture where the person seemed to not exactly tell the truth, the person seemed to lie? Well, what about that? Well, when I think of this question, there's a, uh, a quote that I came across by Philip Graham Riken that I think addresses this issue well. Let me read it to you. Riken says, is it okay to lie in times of warfare and persecution? Going back to Augustine, many theologians have said no. However, there were a number of incidents in the Bible when deception was not condemned. Consider, for example, the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, who, decided, who deceived Pharaoh to avert genocide. There was Rahab, who deceived the Canaanites to save Joshua's spies. There was Gideon, who used concealment as a stratagem of war. The Bible does not condemn these falsehoods. However, each of them was told to prevent evil men from committing even greater sins, such as murder. But we shouldn't use these extremes to justify falsehood when we're in a tight spot or when we think the end justifies the means. Even in those rare cases when a lie seems necessary to protect others, it is still wrong in itself. And I think Riken here captures uh, uh, a firm commitment to the Scriptures. Lying is sinful. Now, in this time of war, perhaps we, we use deception as a strategy of war. But ultimately, in our day-to-day lives, believers, we must traffic in the truth. We must be a people whose words can be counted on. What about playing sports or, or board games? When a, when a quarterback uh, fakes a play to try to, to try to trick the defense, do we call that person a liar or deceiver in a board game? Part of the strategy perhaps is kind of to, to trick or deceive. Of course not, because we understand when, when we join in that game that, that the way that you play the game is, is to use trickery. This is not breaking the command to, to be a person of truth. There's no desire to harm or, or uh, uh, to, to dishonor God in that. What about joking around or pulling someone's leg? Is it okay to joke around or pull someone's leg? As long as a joke is told with affection, with no desire ultimately to deceive, but, but to tell the truth. I think Christians can, can tell jokes and enjoy teasing one another, things like that, if it's done in a manner to, uh, that, that's not meant to harm. Now, we should also be careful. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 addresses being careful when you, when you tell jokes, uh, when, you, when you play a joke on, on a brother or sister. So to be very clear, Jesus says that his followers are to be a people of truth, to be a people of integrity. Fifth, recognize the reality of absolute truth. If we're going to understand life from a biblical framework, absolute truth exists. Now, this is, 
not accepted in our culture at large. This notion of postmodernism or sometimes even post-postmodernism holds to the idea that truth is really constructed. People construct truth. They don't really, there's not really an objective, independent, out there truth. It's just sort of what we together, what we make. Uh, An idea of social constructivism, it's sometimes called. We we invent truth. Richard Rorty, one of the leaders in the postmodern movement, said this, truth is made, not found. But is this a biblical understanding of truth? It's not. From a biblical perspective, God gives truth that is always true, absolute and objective truth. As we think about truth, there's something called the correspondence theory of truth. This makes, will make perfect sense to you. And that is, if you speak the truth, then what you say corresponds to the way things really are. And yet that idea or that notion of truth is rejected by, by countless uh, of those who are in the elite in our culture. Truth is something more shady, more cloudy, more hard to get a grasp on, something nebulous that that we put together ourselves. The brothers and sisters, if we believe in Jesus and we are his follower, we must be committed to the notion of absolute truth, and we must be committed to the fact that God speaks in a way that's true in all places, in all times, in all circumstances. Objective truth. No matter the cost, we've got to be committed to that. If we would be followers of God, if we would be committed to what the Word teaches. Now, a few nights ago, one of the speakers at the Democratic National Convention yelled out, maybe you heard it, that she aborted a child. And the crowd cheered. Maybe you saw this. It was a really troubling moment. And here's an example of abandoning the clear truth. The reality is that when conception occurs, when a sperm and an egg come together, the reality is that life begins. And when that happens, if the pregnancy goes to term, a baby will be born. A human baby. No no one's arguing about that. If that, when conception occurs, nine months later, if the pregnancy goes to term, everyone understands that when birth occurs, it's a human. It's a person who's born. And to deny the clarity of the fact that when a sperm and an egg come together, to deny that that's life is a complete and outright rejection of reality. It's a complete and outright rejection of truth. And yet our culture is determined to avoid the truth at all costs. We we live in a time when the truth is is subverted, it's put aside. We live in a time when deception is celebrated. But brothers and sisters, among believers, it must not be. We must be a people of the truth. And when we stumble and we veer away from the truth, we, we come to God and seek his forgiveness. We make things right with others when necessary. And we strive to get back in line with the God of truth. And we strive to submit our lives to him and by his grace to walk in truth. Sixth, turn to the truth. Turn to the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
Jesus said, I'm, I'm the only way. You want to be right with God? The only way you're going to get there is through me. I'm the truth. You want to find truth? Then find Jesus. He has given us direction right here. You want to know him? Study this book. Learn about him. Learn. Learn that he is the way. He's the way to life. Now, maybe some of you have been looking for life in all sorts of places. You thought, hey, if I can just get this, or if I can just attain that, or if I can just become this or that, I'll, I'll have life. But all that's a mirage. It's not the truth. The truth is that if you want life and life to the full, you've got to come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, you're going to find life that's real. You're going to find truth that's always true. You're going to find purpose. Jesus is the perfect picture of integrity. And he tells us that if anyone would be made right with God, there's only one way, and it is through him. It is through him. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so God calls you to himself. Every one of us has a sinful heart. Every one of us, every one of us has lied and lied. Just that alone, every one of us is guilty before God. And because of God's righteousness, he can't just ignore the wickedness and the sinfulness that's in all of our hearts. And so what did God do? He made a way for sinners like me to be made right with him. And it's not because of anything that I can do, but it's because of what Jesus did. You see, Jesus left heaven and he came to earth and he lived a perfect life and he was nailed to a cross for the wickedness in my life and for the sin in your life. And he made a way for those of us in sin, to have our sins wiped away. And when we turn from our sin and we call out to God in forgiveness, the Bible tells us that God receives us as his children and we can have life and life to the full. Many of you have played in some context or another, perhaps as a mixer or an opener at a a meeting. You've played the game two truths and a lie. And in this game, everyone goes around and they tell two truths. And then they tell one lie, and everybody's supposed to guess on which one is the lie. Now, it's probably not the best game, though I've played it several times in church context, because the, the liar, or the one who wins, is the one who's the best liar. But anyways, um, as you look at that, as believers, those odds aren't okay. As believers, we need to be people who have three truths who when it comes to what's trending, when it comes to what's trending in our hearts and in our lives, it needs to be the truth, not the truth massaged or manipulated, but the truth, true truth. You you understand what I'm saying? As believers, we've got to be committed to integrity. We've got to mean what we say. We must let our yes be yes. So by God's grace, brothers and sisters, May our words be true. May we call out to him for help in walking in the truth. May we seek him when we fall. May we seek his forgiveness. And for those of you who are with us today, and maybe you've known a lot about Jesus, maybe you've been in church off and on your whole life, I want you to know that just knowing about Jesus is not the same thing as knowing Jesus. Knowing about the truth is different than knowing the truth personally. We said earlier that Satan is a liar. Well, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this about Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. What does this tell us? That Satan has blinded countless eyes. And those of you who are here today who have known about the truth, you've known about Jesus, but you've never known him personally. There's never been a time in your life where you were born again, where you said, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to follow you, Jesus. I believe in you. The Bible tells us that Satan has blinded your eyes and his intent is to keep you from God. But today, Jesus calls out to you and he says to you, I am the way. I'm the truth. Come. Will you come? Join me in prayer.